Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome, everyone. This is Seek Reality. Of course, I'm Roberta Grimes, and I'm delighted that you're with us today. I think you're going to enjoy this. Death is meant to be a perfectly natural process. It's painless, positive, and joyous. But its I don't know why anyone fears it. And one of the questions you're going to have after we have this conversation today is why anyone does. Each of us with our guides writes a lesson plan for this lifetime, and we build into it some of the very trials that make it seem there could not be any God who loves us because these things happen, but they're all part of our process of spiritual growth. We also build into our lives two or three potential exit points that our higher consciousness can choose to take when we decide we've gotten all we can from this lifetime. We aren't aware of it consciously, but often People wind up their lives as much as a year before they might start the process of winding up their lives. They reconnect with people that they were estranged from. Husbands gives, give secret information to their wives. All kinds of things happen. A decade or more ago, I went to a celebration of the life of someone who had unexpectedly died of a heart attack, and he was just in his 50s. He couldn't have known. But as we talked at that celebration, it was clear that this man had just spent an entire year Doing, doing his whole to-do list, wrapping up the life that he didn't know was about to end. It was really amazing and wonderful. The natural death process is a beautiful time that extends over days. We move past pain and fear into peace and joy. Our deathbed greeters arrive. We move with them into a glorious new reality that's right where we are now, just as easily as you change a TV channel. So death is good. My first book title in this field was The Fun of Dying, and actually that title came from people who had actually died, so they should know. It's this very fact that can make dying out of time such a tragedy. Two weeks ago, Father Nathan Castle, who is a wonderful Dominican priest, talked with us about the plight of people who had died in accidents or been murdered and were now stuck out of time, often for decades. His wonderful book is called Afterlife Interrupted, and it points up yet again how essential the work of rescuing these people and helping them to transition really is. Bruce Moen was one of Bob Monroe's original explorers, and he's gone home now, but he joined us on Seek Reality five years ago. Look him up, Bruce Moen, to talk about his own rescue work. Wonderful man. So we know that having our body die at what is not a planned exit point can be a big problem. So now imagine the crisis of battlefield deaths. Healthy young men at the height of very negative emotional energy are unexpectedly cut off from their bodies. But our minds are so powerfully creative that, of course, they still have bodies. And as we are about to learn, they generally feel so little different that it can take a while for them even to realize that they are dead. Our guest today is one of my own personal heroes. The Steel had long needed a publisher who would separate wheat from chaff and give the world a line of first quality books in the field of afterlife studies. John Beecher is the publisher of White Crow Books, which is a prolific UK publishing house that's home to many of the leading experts in this field. White Crow publishes Victor and Wendy Zim. It's indispensable. A lawyer presents the evidence for the afterlife. You must read that if you haven't already. It publishes our friend 
and Riley Haggerty. He's been here several times. He's doing such extraordinary work in resurrecting the afterlife literature of a century ago, which otherwise could have could be lost. And he also publishes Michael Tim, who is, in my view, the, the leading expert on the afterlife, who is still on this side of the veil. It also published our guest of last week, Robert McLuhan, who talked about Randy's prize. John Beecher, who is the founder and publisher of White Crow Books and is with us today, is going to share a new book that he himself edited. So this is a treat. It's called In Times of War, Messages of Wisdom from Soldiers in the Afterlife. John, welcome. I'm so glad you're with us today. All the way from the UK, I should I should remind everyone. Thanks for having me on, Roberta. Yeah, it's nice to see you again. Usually I'm trying to you're getting get, get a, trying to get someone onto your show and here I am, you know. <laughs> all you all you have to do is send me an email. Half the time when, when I get an email from White Crow, I immediately contact um, contact John and say, Okay, how can we schedule this? We have another one actually coming up in a few weeks. So please tell people who may not have seen you previously or heard of you previously, how did you get involved? and even caring about the afterlife or what some people call the paranormal. That's a long story. I'm not sure we have time for the whole story. Just, a short, just, a, just the highlights, a couple of points. I think you had a, an accident. Um, yeah, okay. Like- okay, so, so yes, yeah. Uh, uh, in, 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 in the year 2000, I was 43 years old, and I, uh, I was in the music business. I was running an independent record company yes, for, for about 28 years I was in the record business that was my thing i was a very happy uh atheist <laughs> right well well i say atheist i mean most in the uk it's not like in america most people are much more secular you know like i don't know anybody who goes to church i don't know really, you know it's, it's it's slightly different it's slightly different here so when i said an atheist i just didn't i didn't i wasn't anti-religion or anti-anything like that i just didn't it just wasn't on my radar yeah my right. stepfather who brought me up was an atheist my mother there was no you know we didn't you know, there was no, I didn't have my child christened. I refused actually and all this sort of thing. So it was, but we, there was no anti. So we were very, it just wasn't in our lives. And then, and then in 2000, in 2000, you're right. I had a, we, I, I'd been out, we had a part, a dinner party one night. We'd all been drinking a lot, but that wasn't, that wasn't unusual. So, <laughs> so it wasn't, that, that was nothing really unusual. And I had a bunch of people staying with me because it was a, funny enough, a friend of mine's son was being christened and it was a pre-christening dinner and we'd all been out. We came home. I had the godparents staying at my house, this, this friend of mine. I put them all to bed at two o'clock. So I remember going to bed. <laughs> I got into bed properly. And the next thing I knew, I, I woke up and I was on the floor. And my wife was standing over me telling me I was in trouble. And basically I had, she heard a bang in the, in the, and found me on the floor. And I'd, and I'd fallen on my face or something without, without putting my hands down. So my teeth, front tooth was all bashed in. My, oh. my my lip was severed and needed 30 stitches. My jaw was broken on both sides. I was a mess. Oh, oh, and, you were a uh, mess, yes. I was physically a mess, physically a mess. I healed up okay, though. But, uh, and it was really that, and it was really, and I don't have any memory of that accident. I don't have any, I was, I had, I had no pain. I was no, you know, the body's amazing. Like, I had no pain. But it was, I, I had some kind of, I don't remember any experience, but I, but I certainly over the next year or so realized that I had some kind of, transformative experience when you hear about people who had near-death experiences very much i didn't even know what those were but you hear about all the after effects that people write about how it changes them dramatically and they can't really understand it half the time that that was me really and that's and uh yeah and so so it's been a bit of a 
a bit of a, a, a series of events since then, which would need more than an hour to, to explain. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But so yeah. effectively, you had a spiritually transformative experience you don't directly remember, yeah. but it, it made you interested then in learning more about what's really going on? Well, I think interested would be an understatement. I mean, I, I, I came out of this... I started writing a journal once after I'd had this accident because I had to have six weeks off work because I couldn't speak. And they said, don't talk on the phone, don't talk, because my jaw was all wired shut. So, yes. I had a, so, I had, so I had to have, so I started writing and that was really good for me because I, I never thought about it before. I just picked up, a, started my computer and wrote, but because then I started writing down how I was feeling. And it was very, and it was really strange. You know, I used to, for instance, to give an example, I used to, uh, physiologically, I didn't have much difference. I had this high-pitched whistle in my head, which I still have, which I'm, I suppose if I went to a doctor, they would say it's tinnitus. But it doesn't feel like that. Uh-huh. It's just, just like a heart. And then I, and I could feel my, I could hear my heart beating, which I still can all the time if I'm sitting quietly. Thinking that was physically, but mentally, I felt, I felt very different. So to give you an example, I used to go hunting, game shooting. You know, we shoot pheasants here and, and all that sort of thing, and, and we do them in the winter. And I, and I've been shooting for years, and we go and. Uh, and after I'd healed up, this accident happened in October. So by about December, I was kind of physically healing up again. And my pal phoned me because we had some shooting days books. And I said to him, he said, oh, are you ready? We're going to go shooting day after Christmas, you know, whatever it, wherever it was. We used to go to these big stately homes and go have shooting. And I said, oh, I can't shoot anymore. And he said, why not? I said, oh, I, I can't kill an animal. And he said, well, why not? You've been killing I it for years. I love it. Isn't I said, that I don't know great? why not. So, I could, so that was a that was my when I look back that was the first sign but I had no idea I didn't associate it with this bang on the head but that was my first and then I, the other thing is I had no fear of death but I never used to think about death but after this I had it was almost like an embracing of death and yes. death wasn't I had the idea that this wasn't home that was you know <laughs> that we're, it was very odd very strange for me because it was completely not you know, I mean you probably interviewed lots of people who had these experiences but for me it was a completely alien thing you know. Well, and and I think everyone listening should understand that a lot of people do have spiritually transformative experiences that they don't remember. Um, yeah. it, I think yours was more dramatic in, in its effect on your life. But you, you, you founded White Crow Books. Now, ev- tell everyone where the the words White Crow come from. Well, I was. Uh well, I woke up one morning and had a dream in White Crow. I dreamt of that White Crow book. But, but, I, but, but at the time, this was about in t- 2010 when I started it, but at the time, uh, it was, I'd been reading about William James. And William James yes. had this, I'm paraphrasing, but he had, a, he, you know, he had some experiences with, with mediums and with you know, psychology. I and mean, he was sort of on the fence as to whether people survived their death and all this sort of thing. But he said, you can't ar- if one person could do something, you can't argue with it. And he came up with this phrase yes. in order to disprove the laws that all crows are black, it's enough to find one white crow. Yes. That's my, that's my interpretation, but that's just, you know, so that's where it came from. So you've put a cloud of white crows into the sky. <laughs> well, I, I know, I know really. That. I have, yeah, You but, have, because I've read a lot of the books you've published, and some of the, the uh, your authors are my friends, and I just am astonished at how keen is your insight into what, what's good and what's not good what what needs to be said one of the things you're doing that i admire so much is that you're rescuing the first 20 for half of the 20th century's worth of books one of the reasons i love this book um it's yeah. called in times of war again everyone but it's not even very thick you can read it no, in it's each, a small book yeah, it's a small it, book yeah but but what, what what he's done is to distill from a lot of early uh, 20th century and mid 20th century first-rate literature about the afterlife, things which don't happen now, um, deep trance mediums and, and other 
And certainly we're not having, thank you God, two world wars, so we don't have a whole ton of people who are able yeah. to um, uh, tell us from where they are. Right. Yeah. Um, so, But he rest, he's rescued so much of this literature. That's why I love Riley Haggerty, because he's devoting his life to doing this with you. Um, it's, it's just... These are unsung heroes, everyone, that we in 20, 30, 40 years, those of you who are unfortunate enough to still be here, um, I intend to be in the bleachers by then. But you, you are. So? You, oh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, maybe you will because you're such a young person, but so I'm you not. You might still be here. You might still be here. You know, don't make a plan you might want to break. You know, don't make a rule you might want to break. <laughs> Wherever I am, there will come a day when, when this these your authors and the work you're doing will be celebrated because – some of that literature might die if if you were not resurrecting it. Some of the the key analyses might never happen if you weren't publishing Michael Tim and 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 the Zamets and so many others. So I really admire you for that. Yeah. But, but, but let's get into the book. Uh, it's okay. it's a great, as I said, summary of some of the highlights of the heyday original afterlife for searchers. It it it, it, it was not. Uh, I think it was partly because of the world wars. It was partly because of the 19th century's wonderful mediums who were still living in the early 20th century. But it was really a heyday of, of communication with the dead and initiated by the dead and carried on by the dead. And there were just people here willing to work with them. And much of it was published. And now, of course, what you're doing is resurrecting quite a bit of that, the great mediums. And you've pulled – Concentrating on those two world wars, you've pulled out some of what I think are the highlights um, that I had already read. Uh, the fellow who, who's, who – all, all of it. The, the, the fellow whose guide was the beautiful being. I read him a yeah, million yeah. years ago, and yeah, then yeah. there it was. Um, so fortunately, there were books, so you could read them and pull it all out. But um, let's talk specifically about your highlights in your book, what 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 are your favorite parts of the part that, parts that are most important to you? Because I have my own set here. Well, I had a, I had a, I suppose just to go on from that. Well, I had so I had this accident, so I'm now feeling very different. I had this experience, but then I went on to have some odd experiences. You know, like dead people getting in touch with me, and, and I, I ended up going to see <laughs> mediums. I ended up yeah. going to you know I, I, I mean, lots of weird things happened. I ended up going to Las Vegas to meet remote viewers, and went to New York to a physical seance in White Plains, Good for and, you. And France, and Holland. So I, I really got I was on a bit of a mission, and of course then I had, I had so many of experiences, and then all of a sudden you written where you have experiences where people claiming to be your I don't know grandparents, friends, business people, you yes. know, all sorts of people and giving you really specific information. There's no way. I mean, I will say people say, well, how do you know? It's, you know, there's a piece in the book where I, where I talk about where I was having a conversation, where I was having a Skype conversation with a medium. I know in, in now I know I didn't used to know any mediums, but I know this lady in Belgium, Isabel, and she, I've never paid her any money or anything. like. That. We're having a conversation. She said to me, I've got your father's father here. And I said, that's funny. We were just having a conversation because I, I I had a different family. My parents split up when I was two. My, yes. My, my, I went with my with my my mother met my stepfather. I took his name, so there's no way she could know about this other family that I because I only met them 20 years ago, and uh, I never met my grandparents. And I said to her, "Oh, well, I, I don't even know the name of my grandparents." And she and anyway, five minutes later, she came back and she said, "Oh, I've been given this name, David." But she wasn't saying this is my grandparents' name. She'd just been given this name. And then a couple of minutes later, she said, "I'll be." 
not as David, sorry, Mar uh, Edward. And then a couple of minutes later, she came back. So I've been given this name, Maria. I'm going a bit fast, but you get the idea. And I hadn't, and I didn't know who that was. And then we finished the conversation. Then, and then I text my brother, who I've now met from that side of the family, who I didn't know before, and said, "What were the name of our grandparents?" And he came back and said, "Edward and Maria." So of course, I, I, I could probably think of twenty or thirty of those kind of experiences. Yeah. So to me, so to me, when I was reading these other experiences like Dowding and uh, Elsa Barker. I'm very open. I'm very open to him because I can take this. Yes. Because if you've had it yourself, you can go, well, okay. So I like, so I like all of them, but I like, I like Dowding. I thought Dowding, Lord Dowding was an interesting, you asked me, me who I like. Because yes. he, only because in his other life, in his normal life, if you like, I mean, he was the, he was the air chief master of the Battle of Britain. I mean, back in, in World War Two, apart yes. from Churchill, he would be one of the most famous people in the UK and very pragmatic. I mean, he ran, he ran the Battle of Britain and then here he was, Oh, yes. rescue circles. You know, yes. And, and, well, let, let, let's tell everyone what those rescue circles are, because I had copied this out. Lord Dowding regularly attended or hosted a rescue circle where one or more mediums sit with a small group of sitters, the aim being to reach people who have died and are confused about their situation or have no idea they're dead. During World War II, with the number of people dying en masse, that was probably common. And in a book called In God's... I guess it was called God's Magic. Yeah. He explained the message of rescue. Um, he, Doubting, wrote, Awakening work was the commonest type during the war when casualties were heavy and when the crowds in the astral, that's, of course, the not the afterlife itself, but most of reality is composed of the astral, actually. Mm -hmm. But he said, he said the crowds in the astral um, hmm, where uh, we're continually being reinforced by fresh contingents of men suddenly wiped out of Earth existence and quite unaware of what had happened to them. What generally used to occur was that we would sit in the drawing room of the lady who acted as medium, men who I have designated as LL, for the purpose of these records. All the surroundings would be quite normal in ordinary or artificial light according to the time of year. And, and he, LL might say, here are three paratroopers from Normandy, or here is the crew of a bomber who think they have come down in the Ruhr, or something like that. And then we would hold them in quiet conversation while those on the other side were working on them to raise their vibrations. They, they, you understand, they're vibrating so low, they're so vibrating at the Earth level, so they can't even see their rescuers now. Um, after a bit, they would begin to notice something strange in our appearance, something different from themselves, or by trying to shake hands, uh, the hand would go right through. There was, It was a shock to them that they couldn't really physically interact with people who were still in physical bodies. And then they would get this realization somehow or other that they suddenly realized that, you know, they, they had died gently. It was always gently done, which I think is beautiful. And then when they got that realization that when they were vibrating high enough, they'd see their friends would come to meet them and they'd go up happily together. Imagine spending your time helping these confused young men, some of them out of bodies for months or longer, to suddenly realize, you know, there's a whole new world that I don't notice. Oh, there it is, and there's my mother, and there are these people I love. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you think that's beautiful? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's great. I mean, for me, the takeaway, the take, the thing that interests me in, in, in these in these reports, if you like, is because you were dealing with people who are in war. It wasn't so much they're in war, but you had an idea of what they they talk about, what they were feeling like before. You know, the, while they're in battle, they talk about getting killed and how what that felt like, and they talk about just afterwards. And then they and then they and then they go on from there and they say how they felt, and then they have this sort of philosophical worldview. So it's quite an interesting. 
I mean, it's quite an interesting, you know, if you if you take them as red, if you like, it's quite an interesting. I mean, I mean, what it what it shows you is that your mental state, your mental state before you die. I mean, whether it's your whole life or just seconds before you die, play a big part in how you find yourself. It seems to me, afterwards. So it's good. To, so it's good to know, you know, even if you're, it's good to. I think Carl, I think Carl, uh, Carl Jung said it's good to create a myth. It's good to be open-minded because if you, because what they're saying is if you, if you, if you really strongly believe in nothing, that's, that's what, what you you'll get. get. That's, that's exactly get. right. Yes, there's yeah. a lot of evidence that's true. Let's talk about the Wicklands because um, isn't there a book Thirty Years Among the Dead or something like that? Yeah, Wickland was an interesting guy. He was a, I think he was a psychiatrist and a psychologist from Chicago. And he, he was uh, he was married to a woman who was a medium. I think that kind of thing kind of happened quite a bit. And he moved to Los Angeles, and then he had an experience one day where he'd been doing. I think doctors then did different. He was a psychiatrist, but he did autopsies and things as well. And he and apparently he was he'd been doing an autopsy on someone. He'd come home and he's sitting with his wife, and then suddenly she went into trance, which she hadn't done before, and, and started complaining to him that he'd been <laughs> chopping her leg. Oh, and, he, and, he, and he concluded yes. that the, the dead guy who he'd done the autopsy from had sort of gone home and and so then he started anyway this all led on to said he started communicating with people and and he was doing all these experiments where he'd sort of put a you know where people go and go and come into if you like i don't want to use the word possession because they weren't possessed but they go into his into his wife so she was in a trance state and they'd and he yes. started putting electricity on her and, and make him disappear but then he started a rescue circle because they a lot of people do this because they think well they think i think they are providing a service for, for a great you know, service for helping people a great for helping people a bit like you know people help people with food banks and things well they're helping people who are are on the other side to use a, that hackneyed expression yeah. yes was it he um uh, the one to whom John Jacob Astor, the fourth, came after the Titanic sinking, and Alfred Vanderbilt. Yeah, well, that's, that, that, that's interesting because what happened was he he was uh, he was doing regular sittings, and I think it was in 1916 on a particular evening, a guy called William Stead came in, and William Stead, I don't know if you know, yes, him, he was a oh yes, very well-known journalist in the UK. He was a big peace activist, civil rights. He was a really interesting character himself because he was a kind of, he, he died on the Titanic. So he, four years later in 1916, one night they're doing this, or they, one day they're doing this sort of rescue circle. And instead, this guy claims, a dead person comes, claimed to be dead, and said he's bringing people in who went down on the Titanic. Now, bear in mind, this is four years later. And they bring in this character who he, he labeled them in the book as J.J. John J. A. But because at the time he was protecting their anonymity, but the only John J. on the Titanic was John Jacob Astor, so right. he was bringing him in, and that was interesting because John, J- because whoever it was, I mean, let's assume it was John Jacob Astor. But what was interesting about him was, you know, he was cold and he was wet and he was having a bad time, and he was and he sort of kind of kind of he wasn't sure if he knew he was dead or if he did, he didn't. You know, he was in this sort of dream state and in a, and in a, in a, a nightmare state. And, it, and probably because he didn't really, you know, because he didn't really know what had happened. And this is four years later, as we measure time. But I suppose if you think about it, if someone's in a dreamlike state, when we wake up from a dream, we have no idea how long we've been in the dream, do we? And I suppose, yes. So you, you can see how when they hear, you hear about people, they say well, sometimes they're in that state for years or even yes. centuries. You can yes. see how that could yes. be possible. Exactly, exactly right. But what he said was, you know, he used to have all this money. He used to have this great life, which is another bit of indication that it was John Jacob Astor. And and, uh, basically that had been important to him. And when it was gone, 
Who was he? What did he have? We, we, we are told that one of the, the worst tests we can set for ourselves, um, opportunities for spiritual growth that we can set for ourselves is great wealth. And uh, to me, he and his friend Alfred are examples of that because they had the wealth, their lives were so easy, but they weren't learning anything and they weren't loving as they should have loved. And um, I, I think that was very, very illuminating, actually. Well, I thought so. But I, I wondered, I wondered, you know, because what is the so? So let's say let's take him. You know, he was obviously a very. He said himself he lived. He, he blamed his post-death environment on his on his on his physical life. He blamed it on that. He said he was selfish. He said it was this and that, and this and that. But even but he so and that, he, so he blamed that. And, and there's a few in the book that do that. They talk about you know one guy. One guy said he was he just, all he did was wrote read books all day. He didn't he didn't interact with people. He didn't go out. He became very self-absorbed. Yes. And this whole idea that you're self-absorbed in your physical life, and then uh, and you can see how and that carry and that carries over, and all of a sudden you're you know you, you know which is I think why the Buddhists are onto something when they when they they're very into lucid dreaming and that's very important that people yes. know when they're in the bardo that they're in the bardo and and that they you know after they die and it's a very very for them it's very important that you're aware of death because then you you're enlightened if you like let's say but uh, but this whole idea that these people. Did the did that did, because they were so into money and things? Did that make that, that did that mean that they were so attached? If you like to use an old yes, like, yeah, and and um, I think that just the fact that that was their sort of that's what they lived for. Jesus warned about this, yeah. of course, oh, um, many the, times. Many, yeah. <laughs> um, and Alfred Vanderbilt, uh, who was Alfred V, but who else could yeah. he have been? Yeah. Uh, went down on the Lusitania, which was much more recent, and he also came through the Wicklands. Yeah, he'd been um, dead about eighteen months, and, but he was still wet and cold. <laughs> yeah, isn't you know, that his awful? Clothes weren't We're dry. Man. I mean, maybe he didn't have a good tumble dry there or something, but he couldn't he couldn't get out, and so and so he couldn't get out. But he couldn't get out because he didn't. It seemed to me. So Step was bringing him in because they couldn't get out of there of this horrible nightmare. Let's call it whatever. Because they yeah. weren't because they hadn't really grasped their situation. And once they grasped it, just that grasping it was enough to get them to send them and help them on their way. Apparently. Yes. People listening, and we're going to talk more about this. And we still have some time to talk about this. But I, some people listening are wondering, well, why? What if I end up in that situation? Uh, one of the points you make in your book, or your, or your communicators that you you cite make in, in your book, is all you have to do, if you think you might conceivably possibly be out of your body and your body's no longer functional, call for help. Help comes. Yeah. These people. Th- this is why. We, we are fighting, John and I are fighting and others are fighting so hard against ignorance of what happens at death. Because if you don't know what happens at death, you're real surprised to find that you're, you, everything is very little changed from before your death, except that now you can't communicate with the living. All you have to do is call for help and help will come. Um, that, that's, this, it's totally unnecessary for people to be stuck this way for so long. So then, your next question is: Well, how awful for them? Years and every, you know, they're watching their watch. No, they're out of time. It doesn't. Yeah. Time is just not a factor to them anymore. So I don't think it feels that long. Um, I, I, I did had the privilege. I think I've talked about this recently, so I won't go through it again. Of, of, of working. Um, uh, with 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 Bruce Moen to do rescue work, and the woman that, that I ended up rescuing uh, had died. We figure in the very late um, 18th century, 
But she thought it was just the same afternoon. She wanted to know how come yeah, it was she, bothering she would, her. Yeah, it's, it's not the end of the world, to use that. I know it's no yes. pun intended. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> but a very good pun involved. Yes, that's, that's true. It's, that's no, it's true. not the end of the world, but, but at the same time, but at the same time, it, it almost feels to me like we're in some, you know, we're in the, a game, if you like. <laughs> like we now, because now we have video games, we can, also, we, can, we can imagine that this is a video game, and that's the video game. But it's still better to know that you're in a game than not know. You know that's why the I think that's why the Matrix is so popular because it really put across this idea of the that there's the, there's the false world if you like the not real world then there's the real world. Yes, yeah. yes. And the irony is this is the false world that is the real world to the yeah. extent that that is real. We're, we're as we go deeper into it that question becomes even more exactly. complex too. But exactly. but but um, your mind is eternal. I tell you that. Every time we speak, everyone, I tell you your mind is eternal. It truly is. And what's great about this book is that it shows you in so many different ways the implications of the fact that your life is eternal, your mind is eternal. This is a very, very brief part of your life. And the people um, in this book who had lived their lives thinking about eternity were much, much more able to adjust to, to that more real life that they went to when their bodies died. I, that struck me repeatedly uh, in, in, in what you were doing. Now, let's talk about Judge David Patterson Hatch for a minute, because I, he's the one who had the, the beautiful being who was his guide. Um, talk a little bit about him. He, he was an interesting character. There was a, a woman called Elsa Barker, who was a poet, and uh, and a writer and everything and she and one and one day i think she was she lived in the i think she was american but she lived in the uk for quite a long time i think she was in paris with a friend of hers when suddenly this she felt this entity coming through and and sort of started she started automatic writing now we don't really know whether she knew about automatic writing before that because they, we don't really know much about well we know about it but not that much about that side of her life and the entity claimed first of all he, he was remained anonymous but he said that he died recently and he, what he wanted to do is he wanted to he wanted to transmit to her, if you like, where she would write letters to, to detailing his experiences as he, you know, the next stage, let's say, you know. But he was very aware very quickly that he died. So he was, and then it turned and then it turned out later he cl- he claimed he was a guy called David Patterson Hatch who was a lawyer and a judge. If you look up on on I don't know, Wikipedia or one of those places, you'll find you'll find stuff about Hatch. He had a he was he was quite a big time. He was obviously quite a big. He did a big settlement. He, I'm, I'm a big big cases and that so he was very very much in the material world if you like but he also was an interesting guy he apparently and he died in 1912 and i think the communication started about a year later and he died and in 19 apparently i looked him up sometime before in 1906 he had he suddenly went off on some retreat or something and he had and then he had some experience with a guru or something and he came back and he wrote a book called 20th century christ which i which i haven't read but anyway so he was so anyway you've got the so He's coming through to her, describing what he finds and philosophizing and advising, and uh, and 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 he wrote. They wrote about 154 letters, I think, and all the letters are great. They're all, they're all really interesting. Yes, interested. I thought so too. Yes, yeah. I, I read his book. Yeah, it was or her book. Whoever wrote yeah. the book, it was yeah. fascinating. Um, and and you also he, he gives an account of a friend of his who was. I guess he he was he had he was frustrated in love. He was very unhappy and yeah. just a mess. And so he went to uh, what Jesus called the outer darkness, where there was wailing and gnashing of teeth. Where he actually met someone who presented to him as the devil, which I thought was hysterical. Yeah. Um, 
and and he helped this person who was who had put himself into this mess. We do put ourselves into the outer darkness. It's not something that any judge does for us. We judge ourselves and put ourselves there by by vibrating so low we actually can't go any higher. But after he had helped this person, he said something interesting. Uh, he, he, the guy's getting better. His vibration is rising. He said, "Why did I choose this man for my friendly ministrations?" You're wondering, or before as I described him in the beginning of this letter, he was not an attractive character. He actually he was a jerk. I tell you a little secret. It was because he was unattractive that I did choose him. That was the reason. No one had ever loved him enough, and so he needed help more than others needed help. Those who are loved are already helped by that love. As the beautiful being, that's his guide, as the beautiful being says, do you get my meaning, daughter of earth? Just now I live to serve mankind through the horrors of this war. Serve also by loving those who least attract your love. So shall you learn the way to the path where walk the masters of compassion. I thought that was just beautiful. Yeah, yeah they're, they're good. Those letters are all they're lovely. They're, they're beautiful. And uh, and with all these things, there's a lot of philosophy in them. There's a lot of, you know. Yes. So, and uh, I mean, I, I there was a... Uh, after I'd had this, if you like, accident as well, you know, you have these sort of traits, all of a sudden you feel, I felt sort of like forgiveness. Forgiveness was a bit like, or in other words, you had to forgive her for everything. It's like, but it wasn't, it's a sort of state of mind. I can't really, can't explain yes, any more than that. Yes. You have this idea. And I, and, I, and, I remember, and I remember just after that, I started volunteering. I didn't know anything about volunteering. I was, <laughs> sudden, I was doing anything. So I started volunteering for the Samaritans. who There's a suicide line in the UK. They get five million calls a year. They're the wow. national suicide line kind of thing. And I did that for 11 years. And, and, you have to, and I found it quite easy because you have to be very non-judgmental. And I, and I, and I, kind of, and I feel like I get that now. In other words, obviously, you can judge a, judge a, 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 an action as being bad. Someone shoots someone or something. But you're not judging the person. And I suppose that's an old religious idea. Judge the sin, judge the sin not the sinner. Absolutely, sort of yes. But there was an interesting thing in the, in the doubting things, which sort of backed that up, I think. And it's, and it's the, I don't know if you read that, but he's talking about his, a Norwegian comes through. This guy comes through uh, the rescue sitting and he's in a Norwegian. And the Norwegian talks about, said he spoke very good English. He lived in England for a long time. And uh, this is in World War Two. And he's and he so he's found he's, he's used to he knows he's died. He now he's used to where he is. And someone's brought him in. This guy called Colonel Gascoigne, who is a bit like a Stead type, William yes. Stead type character. He's died a couple of years before. His, his wife who's still alive as a medium and his daughter. So he's bringing people to her while they're in trance states and helping, doing the same as Stead was doing. Yes, yes. To be and, and anyway, so the, and then so he brought the Norwegian guy in. The Norwegian guy's talking about, he said he was a shopkeeper and the Germans shot him. And he says, and he says, he says something like, I'm paraphrasing bits in the book, he says something like, I hate the Germans. Yes, I, I what remember they did, that, I can't, yeah. I can't forgive them, I can't forgive them. He said, but I know, I also know now where I am now that that if I don't forgive them, I won't be able to move from where I am now. Yes. And, then, and, then, and then Colonel Gaskell is telling him, listen, the Germans, they were sleepwalking. They didn't know what they were doing. They were sleepwalking. But the main point I thought was interesting was he was aware that he was aware that he, he was aware that because he hadn't, he hadn't brought himself to forgive, to, in other words, live in that forgiven state, yes. in, in a sort of neutral state, he couldn't move. He couldn't go any further. So he's yes. obviously going to, so once you've, once you've grasped that, you're probably going to do that. And I, I think that's kind of, 
all those things that are coming out there, I find that interesting. Yeah, there, it's fascinating. No, I remember reading that. Actually, I read your whole book, and I don't often oh, get to do that. But it was a, <laughs> no, it wasn't kind. I couldn't put it down actually. <laughs> um, but but um, the the thing about this book, everyone, which makes me really strongly recommend it to you, is that I, as you know, I spent decades reading. All this information. I read the yeah. whole books that John has excerpted. And what he has done for you is to make it so you don't have to read the whole book. He's taken Just a little summary. Yeah. He, he, yes. And he's taken really the, 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 the gems out of all these books and put them into one book, which you can read in an evening. It, it's um, to me, that's the great value of this book because you can learn so much from it. And of course, what, what these, what they're telling you in this book, we have learned in manifold other ways. Um, as you will see if you read this book, they confirm the teachings of Jesus in every detail. I mean, Jesus is right, Christianity is wrong, but Jesus is right. And this is the, these books that, that John has nicely given you uh, it excerpts from are one of the reasons why I know that's true. Um, it's astonishing to me, John, too, that all of these books talk about the same afterlife reality. Yeah. It's impossible for it not to be real. I mean, it, it's as I said, the white crows now fill the sky, and you're a big reason why they do. But for for more than a century, people have been giving us these truths, which are incredibly uniform over almost a century and a half. Um, it's it's really quite amazing that that's true, but it is true. I mean, watching these young people figure out that they're dead, or being gently helped to understand that they're dead, and and hearing what they say, seeing how the process happens for them. It's all what you would expect if you understood what all the other books have been telling us. It's all one reality. That's why we call these podcasts Seek Reality, this radio show Seek Reality, because if you understand what's true, you totally lose your fear of death. John, you don't fear death at all. No, 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 but mine was the result of a bang on the head, though, but no, absolutely. <laughs> I still fear dying. I mean, I, I think fearing dying is quite useful because it stops you walking the road and getting run over. But I think well, that's death. I don't fear. No, I don't. No, I don't. I mean, I'm happy to hang around for another 50 years or I'm happy to go in five minutes, although it might that, be a bit inconvenient for my children. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it does for you exactly. When you really yeah. get what's going on, um, you stop being afraid to die. I mean, yeah, a lot of people say, I, I'm happy to be dead. I just don't want to have to go. <laughs> Woody Allen said, I'm, I don't mind being dead. I just don't want to be there while it's happening. Yes. But what, what, I found, what, what I found interesting, I, I mean, I, wrote, I, st- I put this anthology together one because I was just right. right. I'll tell you what it was. I was listening to President Trump, your pre- your president, talking about uh, he he'd withdrawn from some nuclear weapons treaty with Russia, and then President Putin had made a speech like a week after, and it was quite it was almost biblical in tone. And he it was at Sochi. This was like last October or something, and he said uh, he said something along the lines of if we feel if 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 if, if we feel that we're, we're being attacked by with a nuclear weapon and we'll only know in seconds, he said we'll retaliate. And he said, and, our, and he, our enemies, 
will be destroyed. And he said, and we'll be, and this is the point, maybe, well, he said, and we'll be martyrs in heaven, in heaven, and they won't even have time to repent. Bear in mind, he's talking about Americans. And I thought, well, this is all a bit heavy going. What a, what a <laughs> so, pathetic man uh, he is, honestly. Uh, yeah, I mean, truly well, the, is. Well, the thing is. But the thing is, they're all invo- everybody's invoking God to justify war. And I, I can't conclude that war is not a very good idea. To be oh. so, so anyway, so what happened was I was reading about all these reports and this and that. And so I, that kind of started me going. But the main takeaway, it seemed to me, was, and people say to me now, well, actually, I like this because generally men, and I'm, and I'm one of them, so obviously I know, I'm much more sceptical <laughs> about this whole area. And I was completely sceptical. And then I don't think if I had, I think if I hadn't had a bang on the head, well, maybe now I'm older, I might have been less, but I was, but I was very sceptical. And so, but men, you know, I've, I've, you know, men, people I know, so I like, I read your book, it's about war. People like to read about war. So, uh, so maybe, so, because to my mind, the object of it really is, I think it's just, if you're, it just seems to me that if you're open to it, A, you might have a better time after you die, and B, life will become much more interesting. I think it does make life more interesting. It adds a whole new facet to it because there's so much more going on than you ever dream. Yeah. To, to, to people who are panicked about nuclear war, we've been told by very advanced beings yeah. that that we, we, basically the whole uh, uh, this whole effort to raise the consciousness of the planet was was set into overdrive when we used atomic bombs in, bombs in war seventy plus years ago. Who would have thought um, when they were exploding bombs over Hiroshima? and Nagasaki that we would go for you know 70 plus years and no, never no, have another no, nuclear no. war well it turns out that it's it's quite deliberate they're preventing a nuclear war they prevented it during the Bay of Pigs and during the the missile crisis they prevented it um, they, apparently there was some um, Russian shapes Yes, yeah, so there, there, there have been a, a number of times when we were like a, a heartbeat away from it, but one person decided that what that whatever they saw uh, as, as an incoming missile was a was was false. It the did not. Yeah, I read about him. Yes, remember him? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, this has happened quite a few times. Um, yeah. They they say that we will not be allowed to explode another nuclear bomb in war and i'm coming to believe that's probably true after a whole 70 odd years it'll be soon a century that that it hasn't happened um but you're right i mean these people who posture and and um they're ba- they're living lives themselves based in fear that is pathetic only when yeah. we are living lives based in love are we ever going to get anywhere in this world and that's what we're you know john is working very hard for that and yeah. that's what i'm working for too um, and and we will get there. It is going to happen. We are told by those we used to think were dead that it is in fact uh, this is a this is a fight for peace and love and joy in the world and for the uplifting of all mankind. It's a fight we're going to win. And you are a big part of it, dear. I'm so well, glad to have you well, here. Yeah, and and you. So, uh, <laughs> but when you were saying it goes back 150 years, I mean, if you go back in that book I mean, and. The, there's Plato, remember Plato. That was a, more like a near-death experience, but the, yes, yes, the soldier. Yeah. So and then there's, so so there's lots, so there's accounts. I, I think I think the thing that's changed now is a with the internet. You find out you found out there's people all over the world having these experiences. Then you've got yes. since defibrillators were brought in, you've got you know people having near-death experiences who wouldn't recover before. So there's so yes. many. There's so much. There's so much. Because to my mind, I understand if people say, I mean, I, I have this sort of knowing. But I have this knowing about that there is no death other than the physical body. But I also appreciate that's not, but, but that's just a knowing is a feeling, isn't it? What is knowing? It's just a feeling. But I also know that I don't know anything. My left, my, my, 
logical brain tells me I don't know anything. So I completely understand. So I understand. So I, it's, a, it's a dual thing. On the one hand, I know it. So therefore, maybe that's what faith is. I mean, I never had. Maybe that's what faith is. Maybe maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But so I can understand why people don't. But what what I what I can say is, if you just look at the evidence, and I suppose even if you look at the evidence, if, if you had some experience, I mean, lots of people do have the odd experience. Why I, I, a dead person comes to them after their father's died and he turns yes. up in the living room. I think it's universal. Lots yes. of people have that all the time. But they yes. and maybe if they have that and then they read the evidence, maybe they can. You know, I think that's common. We're coming toward the end of our time, so what, what do you are? want people to take from? I know it goes fast, doesn't it? Um, what, what do you want people to take from in times of war? Well, I, I, I think I think uh, I think what I've just said. I think what I've just said. Really, I think if, I think I think being open-minded is much better than being closed-minded. Honestly, because it's just being. I don't mean just about when we're alive. I mean it might help you enormously. <laughs> it might help you enormously when you die. And what have you got to lose? You've got nothing to lose. By taking no. that view, but once you start taking that view, once you start thinking like that, I think it makes you think differently when you're alive. I think you make you start become. You yes. suddenly realise you don't want to go around. You suddenly realise that everybody's connected. You not you don't see other people as your enemy, whether whatever colour or gender or anything. You just don't see people like that. So it, it kind of puts you in a different. Well, it put certainly put me in a different state of mind, a much more peaceful, loving state of mind. You know, but. Um, yeah. I, I think this may be, um, I mean, we have a lot of, obviously we talk a lot about this on Seek Reality, but I think your book, because it's so short and so enjoyable to read, may be the quickest way for people to come to understand that life really is eternal. I mean, get in here, be with these young men in the First and Second World Wars. So there's a lot of literature from the First World War, too, yeah. um, that, that um, I remember reading very dimly, but it all says the same thing. Yeah, it's we would expect it to, the wouldn't same. you? Expect it to, yeah. If it's real, you'd expect yeah. it to. Well, indeed, yeah. it is real. So, I mean, I urge you to think about reading, just reading this book and then using it to start your own journey toward opening your mind enough and opening your heart enough that you'll be able to live the best possible life and prepare yourself for death. When you're living on an eternal frame, it makes all the difference. If life sucks, then you die. You know, you'll do anything uh, to get yourself a moment's relief from from the fact that you are nothing. But when you understand what life truly is, you you come to, to the certainty that you are everything, and so is every person around you. We are all beautiful, eternal beings, and John can John helps everybody to better understand that. So I just think you're wonderful, John. I'm oh, your you, big you fan. <laughs> you too, Roberta. You too. Mutual Appreciation Society, yeah. <laughs> yes, we are, which is fun. Even our emails are like that. So so give us White Crow's website. It's pretty obvious, easy to remember. Oh, it's just it's just whitecrowbooks.com, or you can just Google White Crow Books, and, yeah, I'm easy to find. I'm easy do, to find. Do you and, 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 and uh, Yeah, and so, yeah. So just do, carry on. It, can people reach out to you if they have questions or comments or whatever? Well, well, I, I mean, I will say I will say they can, but I but I don't always have time to answer. I get a lot of emails and submissions and proposals. I'm sure, you and all must. Sort of thing. Yeah. And there's only me. There's only me, so I don't have. So uh, so I, 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 I would never say don't. But if I, but if I don't but if I don't respond quickly or don't respond don't take it please don't take it personally. No, but but everyone, as you know, you can always reach out to me, and I'm all, I'm yeah. only one person too. But I don't get exactly. the kind of volumes I'm sure that you get, John. No, so if you I, want no, to talk to John, reach out to me, and if I can answer your question, I'll make sure yeah. he does. So I mean, sometimes um, I can. Sometimes I can. It's a, you know, I mean, obviously, like we like to, don't we like to do whatever we, we like to do whatever we yes. can. And there's only so many hours in a day. 
these darn bodies require sleep. Otherwise, you and I would have twice the time <laughs> to do what we feel we should be doing. It's very inconvenient. It's terrible. So yeah. consider yourself hugged here across the pond. Oh, and you too. Hug you back. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm really glad you could be with John and me today. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And when you really get what that means, it's going to change everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be Lucinda Bakken-White, and she's the author of this is an amazing title, Confessions of a Bone Woman, Realizing Your Authentic Wildness in a Civilized World. Her book is dedicated to the entire animal kingdom, but she's, you know, it sounds as if this might be freaky. No, she is she is a professional woman with, a, with an MBA, and she felt called to leave her business community, and she's now what is called an authentic wilderness guide. She helps people who have really gone off track, messed up their lives, to, to get a new start, and she grounds them in what she calls wildness. Um, this is a very interesting process, and um, just just the desire to live a more meaningful life, I think, is is an important thing for us all to develop, as you just learned today when when hearing about all these people who died so long ago, and, and uh, if only they had been better grounded. So join us next week. You'll find Lucinda to be fascinating. This week we've been talking with John Beecher. He's the publisher of White Crow Books, my favorite publisher. It's in the UK, and they publish some of the people I most admire, like Victor and Wendy Zamet, um, and then Robert McLuhan last week, who was with us uh, to talk about what skeptics say. Oh, Randy's Prize was the title. What kept skeptics say about the paranormal, why they are wrong, and why it matters. John publishes him too. And today we've been speaking about him about with him about one of his own babies, which is a wonderful connected collection he's edited called. In Times of War, Messages of Wisdom from Soldiers in the Afterlife. I really enjoyed this book, and I think that um, I think you'll enjoy it too, and I think it will open your mind and heart in ways that perhaps nothing else quite will. Our dear friend Wendy Zamet says of In Times of War, this is a book you will want to keep within arm's reach to be able to refer back to frequently. I think that's true. And of course, Wendy especially would know. As you know, I have a, a lot of nonfiction books out. I want, there's no need to go through the list again i seem to do it every time but in the fall of of 2019 we will be putting out of the fun of living together um rather the fun of loving jesus the fun of living together is its prequel the fun of loving jesus embracing the christianity that jesus taught is uh, a book i've been working on for a very long time and uh, it will be ready by the fall if you want to talk about any of my books or if you want to talk about really anything at all, you can always contact me through the contact block on robertagrimes.com. And if you want to talk to John, just reach out to me. And if I think John really needs to hear from you, I will make sure he does. I do answer every email. It can take a week sometimes, but I do the best I can. Just please be sure to give me your correct email address because sometimes I hit send on a long email and it bounces. I don't like that. It makes me cranky. You don't want to see me cranky. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net, on Real Revolution Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and on a number of other stations, especially those in the wonderful Dream Vision 7 radio family. And more and more people tell me that they're just listening to us on the Seek Reality app that you can get for free in the iTunes store. There's a radio tab on, on my website, robertagrimes.com, and if you ever wonder where I can be heard now and if that's ever a concern to you, then please just reach out and, and um, 
click on the radio tab and you'll be able to uh, um, you know to to find out where we are and and connect connect with us you can always ask me also as I say through the contact block it's very important to me to help you in particular you in particular to know the truth it took me decades to get to to know what I know now I want you to get there within a year or two so you and I know the same things. We all know the glorious truth that our lives are eternal. We are infinitely, perfectly loved. There is nothing to fear. And uh, that's why I live. And ye- yes, uh, John John said I shouldn't be hoping to leave. I would like to leave, but I can't leave. Until oh, yeah. you, are, <laughs> where you are where we are now. So it's very, very important to me to help you in particular. Meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you in particular are a powerful, eternal being and you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.